When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to episode 239 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today on the podcast, we welcome Tim Semple, drummer from the band Boilermaker. Boilermaker were a band from San Diego and on a few labels, including our friends Better Looking Records, who had a CD compilation called Lucadia that I think since its release has taken on a life of its own and people have found this band through the CD compilation. Did not include everything. So, as the constant feeding frenzy of what is not streaming, Boilermaker had a few things not up, as they say. Numero Group stepped in to help them get in the ears of those searching. Now, one person in Boilermaker hasn't been able to see this rebirth. His name is Taryn, and he played bass and sang in Boilermaker. He passed away from cancer, unfortunately, in 2008. Tim speaks about hearing Taryn live and the weird crew people that they connected with and their short time together as a band. This is a must listen. And if you haven't experienced Boilermaker, please get on it. Thank you to Double Elvis Podcast Network and all the Patreon supporters out there. I appreciate all your support. Patreon.com slash washed up emo or doubleelvis.com. This is episode 239 of the Washed Up Emo Podcast with Tim Semple from Boilermaker. Back my lip while I watch my step. Spitting words hurts me. Facing backwards might cause you to slip, to slow down. Um, it's um, exciting um, to kind of see this stuff come to light. Yeah, it's cool. Um, thank you also for for helping us out or even just like chatting with us and the stuff that you've done in the past, the reposting and stuff like that. It's awesome. I mean, that we're, we're just elated that uh, 30 years later, there's still a pulse, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I feel like it was Opie or Paul, you know, Fisher that first told yeah. me, you know, I mean, he probably had sent me that record back in the day. And it just stuck with me. I still have it. I still have, you know, that record. And so I think a lot of people kept the music that they had. And this was one that was sort of, um, uh, in their, in their, in their catalog or in, in their collection. And those songs kind of stuck. And of course there's a huge, you know, like you, uh, we'd spoken about before this reissues and things like that. And it's right. getting into, you know, it's getting into things like, really, is that being reissued? But this one, a lot of people are like, I don't, I haven't even seen this yet. I've never seen this. It's not like this is like, it's been five years and then they do another color, right? Like yeah, this yeah. is now going to be properly, put in a place that I think it deserved all along. And sometimes it just takes a little longer. How have, how have you felt? And especially with, with, with some tragedy as well along the way and being able to kind of have this Lotus, you know, swan song. I mean, it's, it it really is crazy. You know, we, um, years ago, um, 
uh, Terrence widow, Adrian, who, you know, we've been friends with for 30 years. She really, she was really like, what do you guys want to do with, um, the recordings, like the records and stuff. And I think, I think Rich and I were just like kind of nothing, you know? Um, and she was like, cause, cause I get a lot of like DMS and emails and stuff from people like in Japan and Europe and, <laughs> you know, like Midwest, Tom from like washed up the- emo. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Tom's but, fucking you know, blown like, up. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, she was just like, I think people, I think people want to hear it and they just can't get it. Like that's, that's what I'm hearing mm-hmm. from people. It's like, how do I get a hold of this stuff? And, um, you know, at the time, and it's still kind of going on. Like if you go on Discogs or eBay or something like that, like the, the original issue stuff, even like some of the 45s, they're just like so expensive. Like you kind of can't, you kind of, I mean, just the normal person isn't going to spend a hundred dollars for, no. you know, a seven inch right. or $200 on an LP unless you really like you already know it and maybe you're a collector or maybe it means something to you. Um, you're just not going to do it. And so originally we, we had, after talking to her, we had put together somewhat of a plan of, um, getting some friends in San Diego to, um, to kind of digitally remaster from the original tapes that we had just been kind of hanging on to. And, and then we were going to put it on just band camp for like free, like here's the entire catalog, uh, download it. Uh, if you want to give a donation then give a donation. And then the idea would be like, we would just, we'd do something cool with the donation. You know what I mean? We'd take all that mm-hmm. money and we would, we would, you know, I don't know, but put it toward like cancer research or, you know, something to kind of like, um, something good you know what i mean something that's affected us deeply as a band it's like we'll, we'll put it back into that and um but then yeah like our schedules are always busy and you know you have kids and you're older now and um and also i, I don't think you know anybody was really taking the reins to like make sure that it was going to happen and then the the weirdest thing happened i got a letter like an actual handwritten letter in the mail from ken shipley <laughs> And, um, and I was like, Hey, you know, uh, I set up shows for you, um, in the past, you know, he, he did tree records. He did that eucalyptus comp that we were on and he's like, you know, it's been a really long time, but now I'm doing numero group. And I didn't even know that he was a part of that or, uh, anything like that. I was a fan of numero group from the R and B reissues that they do mm. kind of the, the deep historical dives that they do. Um, cause I'm just really into that kind of music. Like over the years I've gotten really into girl groups and sixties R and B and like that kind of stuff. So for me, I was already this huge fan of that label. And for me, it was just like, holy shit, this is kind of incredible, uh, timing even. Um, and when was that t- late 2022, maybe awesome. It took, I mean, it took, it took a while, I think, um, to get it going because they're like a legit record company. You know, they have a lot of stuff going on. They have a lot of releases. And, um, you know, at the time, like talking, talking to him, you know, he was like this music from the mid nineties, you know, people, people are looking for it, you know? 
And it's it's not out of the realm for uh, a label like Numero, uh, who are kind of like crate diggers and uh, historical researchers of of music that's kind of lost. He was like, we're going to do the same thing for indie rock and you know, quote unquote emo or or whatever, uh, just reissuing that stuff. And then in talking to him, it was like, you know, we're going to get Boys Life and Klickatatikatawi and uh, Universal Order of Armageddon and it's just like all these bands where it's just like that's so rad you know and to be a part of that was just like equally as insane that we would be um, in that group but yeah the timing just really worked out and um, and it's been amazing quite honestly it's it's been it's been kind of insane what what has it been like going through the photos, going through the music again, listening to it? Um, kind of hard. Um, but also, you know, just bringing back a flood of, um, you know, good memories, bad memories. Uh, you know, it's, it's like kind of going through like a family, a family album or something like that that you haven't pulled out in a long time, you mm-hmm. know, uh, and and also you know um, starting the the Instagram account is like so many people kind of coming out of you know uh, our past you know everyone's online so it's like people are DMing us you know people that we haven't talked to from like Lucadia and Sneedis days um, in such a long time um, you know if if we put out that that we're looking for photos or something people will send us stuff like shows you know we don't even remember playing or like weird stuff from like weird pizza parlors you know what i mean (laughs) Mm -hmm. just like just like crazy stuff or um you know from tours um so yeah it's, it's been um it's been great i don't know i mean i turned 50 this year so it's like you know, to, to be like the old guy now and to look back, there is like a lot of nostalgia there, but there is a lot of, uh, there's, there's just like a lot of like super positive, um, feelings, you know, it's not just a nostalgic thing. It's just like a, this is fucking cool. Like this was like a cool time. It was a very artful time, you know? I'm glad you said artful and everyone who listens to the podcast knows this is where I chime in and say, this is not the nostalgia thing. This is not, uh, this was like a fucking crazy moment in time where Mm. you didn't have the flyers, right? You had to have fans Mm. that kind of maybe held one on or you, you met me and you realized there's somebody like posting about all this stuff. There's other accounts that were kind of keeping this thing alive because it wasn't mass marketed to a large degree. There were, you know, the thrashers and the other magazines and things like that and zines and other places it sort of championed it, but it sort of had this little come and go moment. And I feel like a lot of people mm-hmm. held on to it. And when you talk about these things being hard, good or bad, I think that's worth bringing up because that was, it's kind of forgotten. So when you talk to someone mm-hmm. like a friend that reached out to you, you might've said, Oh man, that was actually a really hard time. Or, Oh, that remember I forgot that pizza place show or that, you know, I, I have this memory, it, it got lost. And I think now right. with everything being able to be documented and photographed, I love that you might see something and your mind has been triggered because you haven't seen that since 98. You haven't seen that since 94. 
Um, yep. So I really love that. That it, it it it's not just nostalgia. Like like you said, you wanted to give this shit away, right? So I just kind of love that it's gotten this. I say do. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. I mean, um, it was such an important time in my life and in my friends' lives. And to see the bands that Numero is putting out and then to revisit that as well. Like, I, I still have all those original records and stuff, but just to revisit how great Clickatatic Atawi really was, you know? And it's like they were only together for, what, like three years or something? Right. Before it kind of fell apart. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's And then, you know, another one that just came out... Um, the the heroin discography, mm-hmm. um, like I I was just the biggest heroin fan ever. You know, I went to every single show that they played that at least I knew about. Like going back to the Flyers thing, it's like, um, you know, you see a flyer and they're playing at like the Che Cafe or something like that. I, I was always there. And when that discography came out, even though I still have all their, you know, the the seven inches and the record and stuff putting that on just took me back to like 1992, you know, 1993, like literally like a time traveler. And, um, I just got so stoked. It was just like insane. And the music is just so good. Like it needs to be, it need, in my opinion, anyway, it it needs to be out there. People need to, to hear it. Um, it's just like, uh, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It, it influenced so much, and it was such a microcosm, especially at that time, the kind of like mid '90s of of people really, you know, being artful with their music and trying different things, and um, you know, uh, I guess that's all like pre-internet yeah. mentality. But, no, but, it, it um, is. But you, you, you saying that the sort of artfulness and also searching. I think now that you can have everything at your whim, I think there are people going. There's wait a minute, you heard about this band and it's not streaming or I can't get it easily or there's one crappy rip on YouTube? Where is this? Who is this band? How many releases? Let me go to Discogs. I think there is this love of that because a lot of those things came and went. A lot of labels, right. like you you look back on the vinyl or you look at, you're like, that's gone or it wasn't part of a subsidiary that then picked it up and then reissued it. 20 years ago, right? There's a lot of those labels. I mean, one that pops in my head that like Grape OS, like, uh, you know, um, John mm-hmm. or um, uh, dude from Texas, like was part of that label with with Walter and like from, you know, uh, Grill Biscuits and Rivals and Quicksand and, and like all that stuff is not out there. And it just, there's these little pockets of time that you have for either a venue or a sound. And I think that's what was really fun about being in it and when I talk to people that have been in it it's really easy to talk because we I felt like we kind of knew this shit wasn't going to be forever I knew you weren't going to be 20 forever you weren't going to be 22 forever and maybe there were times I don't think it's rose colored glasses either I just think it was this you had to know about the show you had to be there and no one was videotaping it there was there's maybe one photo Like no one was fucking videotaping these things. Like I remember a kid had a VHS tape for a few shows. Like the time I saw it at the drive-in or refused, like there were some videos of this, but it's crazy how people told me about those later, right? Someone that I never knew or never saw the camera. 
So long-winded, I feel like this time is a great time for people to understand this band, Boilermaker, understand where they were and what they sort of were a part of. And I think people are going to come to it for years to come because it's now available. And I think there's a lot of labels doing reissues and Numero's one of them and um, Iodine's doing great stuff. Top Shelf did a lot back in the day when the uh, fourth wave was really kicking. They were a big champion of this. So it's nice to see it continuing. Like the this time period seems to have this little special moment with a lot of people. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's, it's definitely great to hear. Um, you know, I mean, obviously Rich and I have kind of been out of this for like, you know, years and years and years and tastes change and stuff like that. But yeah, uh, it, it is great to hear that, um, you know, there's still an interest in this kind of stuff. Yeah. And um, you talked about things being hard. What, what was something that was hard about it going through everything? Well, I mean, you know, um, I didn't listen to the music for, for kind of years and years just because, um, you know, Taryn, uh, if, if people didn't know, uh, Taryn passed away from cancer in 2008. Um, and he, he had been, I think he was first diagnosed with it maybe in 1998. Wow. Um, so, so it was, it was like a, it was like a very, it, it was a very long battle. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it was just hard like some people would send me stuff, you know, like when, when, uh, when Lucadia first got on like Spotify or something like that, they'd be like, you know, Oh my God, this is, this is so good. You know, uh, Taryn's so good. You know what I mean? And, you know, I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's just hard. I mean, he's like the, the first, friend really like lifelong friend that we all lost yeah um and it's and it sucked i mean you know like in the worst possible way i know that sucked is probably a stupid word to use but like it was really terrible and painful and um but enough time has passed now i think and i think you know the perspective for which i'm looking at this stuff too um, it's not any easier, but it's definitely, it's definitely puts a, a different lens on the way I'm looking at the stuff where I am looking at it. Like, like it's a good thing. It's a positive thing. You know what I mean? It's, it's not doom and gloom. It's not, it's not about loss. It's about gaining, you know, and it's about spreading the good word, championing Taryn, you know, he's such a talented dude, um, that I love the idea of, more people um, discovering him, you know, and his talents and that voice. Um, Can you talk about that voice for a second? Like, just like when you either your first thought when I when I asked that, I have a million questions, but that one, like, what what about his voice that you you loved? I mean, uh, I'll tell you. <laughs> so you know that the town that we grew up in in San Diego. Um, Encinitas, uh, really small community. Um, you know, it's right on the coast, uh, pretty small town and it's about a half an hour North of San Diego proper. 
And, um, you know, there was a lot of music going on in San Diego um, when I was growing up, but not much in Encinitas. Um, it really was just kind of like this really small working class surfer town at the time. This is like, you know, early 90s. And um, Rich and I were in a band, a punk band um, in high school. And we'd play these backyard parties and stuff. And so, we, you know, we, we were very into this, like, uh, hardcore. You know what I mean? We were really into punk and hardcore. It was like Seven Seconds, Minor Thread, a lot of the DC thing, kind of all that stuff. A lot of, like, West Coast punk. And so there were a few punk bands, maybe like two or three punk bands that would always play these backyard parties. One of the bands, the lead singer, uh, was moving to Hawaii. This was like senior year. He's moving to Hawaii. Um, there was this band called Two, and they were all our best friends, you know. So Ray's going to move to Hawaii, and then they're going to get this new singer. And it was this guy, Taryn, and I had never met Taryn. Taryn at the time was he was kind of a, kind of like a jock in my eyes not really knowing him but like he was he played baseball and for me that was enough to just be like absolutely you know, like, but he was i mean he wasn't a jock and none of his friends that he played baseball with were jocks but in that very high school mentality it was just like we just my my group of friends and their group of friends they there was no we just didn't hang out you know um, so anyway, so we're at this party and, um, all of a sudden there's just this voice singing and I had never heard anything like it. It was like this perfect voice. You know what I mean? It was like pitch perfect. It had some rasp. Um, and it was just like brilliant. Mm -hmm. And I, I, to I totally remember it just that I can, I can see it in my mind's eye right now, exactly where I was when I heard it. And afterwards I was like, what is that? Like, who is that? <laughs> and I think I asked, uh, you know, like, uh, their drummer Keith or something like, who is that? And I was like, Oh no, that's Taryn. That's Taryn singing. And then I remember meeting him like in the kitchen and being like, you're a fucking amazing singer. And he's just, he was always a very modest person. Very nice, very modest. He's like, oh yeah, cool. Thanks, man. But it was like, from that point, it was like, I just knew that I wanted to like make music with that guy, that voice. It was like something about that voice was just, I was just like, that's the dude. And, you know, maybe it's like, you know, I don't know. Like I loved the police when I was like a kid and he does have this very sting quality to his voice, I think. So maybe that was something that attracted me to, to him. But, um, I just, I just never had heard a voice that, uh, was like pitch perfect and could house so much emotion, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, you just, you just don't get that very often. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was really an epiphany. It really just completely blew me away. And, um, and that was kind of the start. So I, I think just looking back at that, it's like, um, for me anyway, I mean, I hear, I hear that voice and it just takes me to a different place. You know, he's not, he's, it, it, it's, he's always been a great singer. Like there's tracks that he's on. 
um, where he's really singing. He's not just belting it out. He's not screaming. He's not, you know, he's not affecting his voice in any way. He's like literally just singing. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's heart wrenching and it's beautiful. And it's, uh, it's all the things that I want in, uh, in a voice. I think. I love that. I love the way you, you know, you describe that. Did you corner him in the kitchen and say, you're, you're playing with me. I don't, you have no choice. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) I was a very motivated teenager. I'll say that. That's awesome. But yeah, I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't too far after that that um, the band two that he was a singer for. I'm not exactly sure if they ever played another show. And it wasn't soon after that that I decided that I didn't want to play in the punk band that Rich and I were in anymore. And then Taryn and I started playing. So yeah, I mean it, w- it was it was it wasn't too far after that. So so weirdly, probably I was cornering him to be like, "You are going to play with me." <laughs> <laughs> and then and then you had the other thing. You aren't just another guitarist, right? Those those guys are dime. You aren't another guitarist. Yeah. Those guys are a dime a dozen. They're everywhere. You're yeah, a drummer. Yeah, totally. You're a drummer. <laughs> Don't forget that, Tim. Yeah, totally. totally. Not, not a great drummer, but I, I can make it work sometimes. No, no, no. You have the drums. I didn't say good. I just said you uh, have yeah, drums. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, what, weird, weirdly, how, how it kind of worked out in the beginning was Taryn was playing bass. I was playing guitar. And then uh, um, we couldn't find a drummer. Like, we literally could not find a drummer to play with. There was like... I mean, there was obviously there's no there's no internet, so you're like putting up flyers, you know, like at at the record stores and at you know the junior colleges and stuff like that. And we jam we jammed with some guy a couple times, and um, and he was cool, you know. And we had like four or five songs or something together, and he was cool. And then uh, we set up recording time. Um, there's a local community college called Miracosta that had a recording class that Taryn took and you could sign up and they had, they had great equipment, tons of bands recorded there. And, uh, we were like, Hey man, we're going to record on Saturday. And he's like, cool, man, I'll be there. You know, (laughs) she just never showed up. And we're like, Oh, I guess he doesn't, (laughs) I guess he's not, he doesn't want to start a band with us, you know? And so it was really out of necessity. I was like, well, I will play drums. And then at, around that time that we were like, this isn't going to work. Um, I, Rich was still playing in that punk band. And I talked him into playing with us. You manipulator. And, I love this. I know. <laughs> I can, gotta do it. I can a, see this helped you. Yeah, you got to do it yourself. Man. I can tell this helped later on in life and we'll get to that. But yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so uh, you, yeah, speak. yeah. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. No, it's just, you've, you've, I, I, I can already see this. Okay. I already, I'm already, I'm already, I'm already mapping this out. No, I think that's yeah. great. So you guys, did you, 
it, so when you guys all came together where you were kind of leaving the punk and hardcore thing, he was, was a, a, a jock in your eyes. And then when you came together, was it, was it bands? Was it the first time riffing on stuff? What sort of connected everybody? Well, at the time, you know, um, San Diego was just like, for whatever reason, San Diego was like, had so much good local music. You know, historically, if you look at San Diego, it's kind of this hardcore town. Yes. You know? Like Battalion of, Sta- Battalion of Saints was like huge local band. And then there were all these like punk bands. And it was like sort of like, you know, it was a dangerous place. Like you hear like Henry Rollins talk about San Diego back in the day. And it was like you were going to fight. It was going to be a fight. <laughs> You know, so it was known as like this this punk rock, you know, kind of like sketchy town. And then for some reason in the, I'd say it, it I was started being aware of it in like 1990. It became this very like artful town. Um, and uh, I think, you know, bands like Pitchfork um, really kind of helped, um well, maybe not even Pitchfork. I think maybe like Headhunter, the label Headhunter that was part of Cargo kind of mm-hmm. moved into town and started championing a lot of these kind of like arty, weird bands um, instead of kids at the time buying these seven inches and stuff. It was just, and going to shows at these, you know, me and Taryn and Rich and all of our friends, we, you know, we'd go see these shows at, at the Che and you would see Three Mile Pilot play when stage and um it was just like super um eye-opening for for kids our age you know so then when taryn and i got together we were really influenced i think by like three mile pilot and um just really wanted to make um you know i guess kind of melodic emotional um, music. I don't know, but uh, I I feel like what I feel like once uh, I heard Pitchfork, there was a shift in my brain. Of it's not all about that DC minor threat seven seconds thing. Uh, you could be melodic, and you could be local, and. That was a that was a big thing, and then also I think you know when I was in high school, um, the first Drive Like Jehu record came out, and uh, that was a real game changer, I think, for all music in San Diego. That was like that completely changed everything. Um, and so yeah, with Rich kind of coming uh, to to play, he was he was very adamant about like. I don't want to play punk anymore. He wanted to play, you know, something that was a little more like, I guess what you would say is post hardcore. Yep. Um, and we were super into it, you know? Um, I think another thing, another big thing for us too, was there was this band in Encinitas. There was two bands in Encinitas that, that were, you know, older than us. Um, that you know we would see like at coffee shops you know what i mean and maybe they would play at like the bakery or whatever 
they were uh it was this band called power dresser and another band called heavy vegetable and heavy vegetable was uh the the guy who wrote all the songs that dude rob crow who went on baby yeah who went on to do pinback and now he's everybody kind of knows him for that but at the time you know he's like a 19 year old you know goofball living at the danforth building in downtown encinitas and we got to know him and it was like that was another total eye opener of like they were playing you know what what i guess now would be almost like melodic math rock or something Mm -hmm. um but yeah that was i mean both those bands totally opened our eyes to not only could you be from Encinitas and have a band that plays um, and puts out records, but you don't, you don't have to do the cookie cutter teenage angst punk rock thing. You can be more artful. It's so funny you say those things. Cause I, I feel like there was a show I was at and I was like, I, I think I'm good. I think I'm good with this. Like, <laughs> I think I'm good. Like it was just like, I think I'm done. I think I need to find like, and then you would slowly like kind of tell that other people were trying that. And I will say I do, I get, I say this a lot on the podcast. I feel like shows did sort of have all of those in one night kind of thing. Like it was weird. Like you could have, you could have all those in one night and everyone was fine. It wasn't like everybody needed the same sound five times in a row. Sometimes those shows happened, but I was more into like, Oh wow. Like, that band wanted to play with this band and then this band like, Oh, I'm going to see three different sets of friends and we're all going to go and be happy instead of hearing, you know, you know, all right, everybody move up. You know, I don't, I don't need to hear that every time. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, I mean, also like, you know, I, I, I still, you know, I still love all of that shit. Like, absolutely. I know I'm picking on it, but you know what I mean? You had moved on. Yes. Yes. Like, uh, you know, I still have, all my hard, hardcore seven inches, you know what I mean? Like Tim's trying to save I, himself, everybody. Tim's trying to not make fun of it. I don't give a shit. They can make fun of me. It's fine. Tim, it's no, fine. But, we get it. We get it. Tim. But I, I do think, I do think it's about, I think it's more about the, this, um, you know, about discovery, you know? And it was like, I feel like there, there are moments in time. This is, this is anecdotal to me, but there are moments in time when you hear a band or you hear something that you've never heard before and it just fundamentally changes the way you think about music. I think all art can do that, but specifically, you know, there, there are bands that I've heard where I've just never heard anything like it. And there's like something in my brain, some, some, something just snaps and it's just like, Holy shit, that's fucking amazing. Like I want to do that now, you know? And, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, that at that time where where I think where we all were mentally it was just like uh so motivating to hear newness. Yes. Um, that it was just like this is like fucking incredible. And also know? in not an invitation but at least made you guys more comfortable to feel like you could go in that direction and not saying you could have yeah. said, fuck you DIY, we're going to do it ourselves. And maybe you move to an, you know, another part of town or another city and it would have, but I'm saying you guys it, at least was encouraging to see like, okay, heavy vegetables doing this, this drive like yeah. record just came out. Let's be fucking weird. 
Yeah, totally. It was like, yeah, you can kind of do whatever you want to do. And um, who were some bands that you kind of jammed with? Not jammed, but that's a fucking God damn it. I sounded like I was in fish. Um, what what <laughs> bands, what bands did you um, assimilate with? when you started to play more out more or, um, you know, kind of feel like you had a little crew, not youth crew. Sorry. That took a, uh, that, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that, that, that did, that did, I think take a little while to be perfectly honest. Like, I don't think we ever found, um, like a core group of like-minded individuals in San Diego um we had lots of friends in san diego we'd play lots of shows there's lots of lots of bands that we loved that we would play with um especially early on you know uh rob was a was a huge champion of us like he would always invite us to play with them and they were playing like real shows you know at real venues like the casbah <laughs> real shows uh, at real venues i know yeah, what I you mean, mean. Yeah. i know it's not yeah, exactly totally. I mean, we were yeah, we were still playing in backyards and pizza parlors and record stores and you know, we we couldn't get real shows, you know. We would we would play at the at that place I was talking about the Che Cafe. We we would play there and that was great. But, you know, we really wanted to put out records and we really wanted we wanted to do it. You know, I mean, we wanted to be a real band and do real things and tour and record and all that stuff. And we just didn't really know how to do it. And, and Rob was like a, a huge champion for us. And there was, a, there was a few people like that, but really like there was no super scene for us to really um, grab onto the kind of music that, that we were playing, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I think that I think honestly that all changed when we met Boys Life. And when we met Boys Life, they they were in they had recorded with Mark Trombino. And we had recorded with Mark Trombino. And when they were in the studio with Mark, Mark played them our record, which I don't think was out yet, but he played them our record and he was like, Oh, you guys kind of sound like this. What about this for like how to record it? You know, it was more like a, you know, it's, there's so much similarity. Like I recorded this band like this. Why don't we record you like Mm -hmm. this? And then when they heard us, they were like, Oh shit. Like this sounds like, you know, what, what we're doing, you know what I mean? It was very close. And then when they came back to tour, they requested us to play with them which at the time was just like, that's crazy. Like, who is this band? You know what I mean? Like, why would they want to play with us? You know? And so we played with them and then, you know, we met them. They told us that story about Mark and then they were basically like, you know, next time you tour, you like come and come and play with us. And so I was like, Oh, okay, cool. And then we went, we, we did that tour. We went out to Kansas city. We played with them. I think we played with giant chair and it was just like, oh shit, you know what I mean? Like this is this is cool. This, what what everybody's doing out here is cool. You know what I mean? We played with Christy Front Drive when we played with Braid, and like we played with Mineral, and we just met all these bands via them. 
um, and then it was like, this is, this is the crew. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not to say that, not to say that we were ever like super good friends with any of those people. We were good friends with like boys life, but, um, yeah, you go to, you, you know, you, you're at a show and like Louisville with braid and there's like 200 kids there that are fucking going nuts. They love it, you know? And, uh, that's the first time that we had ever seen anything like that. It was, it was completely like people going nuts for braid or people going nuts for you. No, for braid. Oh, right, right, right. But like, but like braid is like playing music that we, you know, we understand, Mm -hmm. we understand where you're coming from. Or like, you know, we played with, uh, boys life. I can't remember where it was like Lake Charles or something like that. Like some little tiny town and there was like 300 kids showed up to the show wow and it was like this is cool man like in san diego we can't get like 15 people to come you know (laughs) (laughs) so uh so yeah it wasn't it wasn't until we started touring and kind of like met some of that kind of like mid midwest emo bands that it felt like oh okay this is there's an audience for this there's like-minded people doing the same kind of thing. Yeah. I love that. I love that you kind of found those guys and I had never heard that story about boys life, um, doing that. And, and Mark, that's fucking amazing. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, it was like, you know, and then, and then, you know, boys life has, has always for us just been like the kind of like the pinnacle of how to do it. Like I think Taryn and I really looked at them of like, this is what we want to do. This is what we want to be. Um, you know, cause they were just like, they were, they constantly toured. They probably toured seven, eight months out of the year. I mean, they were always on the road mm-hmm. and, um, you know, tons of kids at their shows, uh, putting out records. It was like, they were doing it. They were living, they were living the life. Same with like Christy front drive. It just felt like you guys are doing it this is real. You know what I mean? This isn't just like some fantasy. You guys are actually making this work, you know? Well, you, well, you, you, you talked about boys life and kind of connecting. I think Christy front drive was doing that too, because they were always on the road. They were meeting people and like, Oh, we heard this band, check out this band. Like they were, Eric was a massive connector. Right. And it's almost like they, they were, they were paving the road for, totally. again, you could say this about a lot of things, but especially then with, a fucking atlas and a kid's phone number and a fucking <laughs> yeah. dialer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was hard, man. I, I, I. It, it was, it was, it was definitely, it was definitely hard. Because you know, the older that I get, the more, the more I realize that, like, you know, uh, you have to work really hard at at anything you do if you want people to notice it. Like, you really do have to work, and I think. Back then, it was it was like the cards were just kind of stacked against you. Um, it was super hard. It was it was not easy. You're not playing popular music, you know. You're not. Uh, you, you can't just uh, DM a club and say, "Here's my Spotify. <laughs> I want to play on Tuesday night. Do you have an opening for us?" You know, it it was yeah. It was it was letter writing because the phone was too expensive. Right. Or even just showing up 
and saying, yeah. we're here, we saw a show playing, can we open up? Or you just crashed your buddy's band, like pretend, you know, Boy's Life happened to be in a certain city and you guys roll through and say, oh, we're, we're going to open, you know? And yeah. Yeah. I feel like those, and I feel like that could be happening today. It probably is somewhere. We're just not cool enough. Um, yeah, totally. And I'm, totally. I just think that time, especially for this, the sound, um, it did seem like I just, it was fun to see how this was happening. But then also, I mean, you mentioned earlier about the hard, good, and the bad. I thought the bad part was that I was, it felt like it wasn't as equal to. It wasn't as equal to indie rock. It wasn't as equal right. to hardcore. And I just, I was, that's why half of why I started all this crap. But it, it, it just seemed like that was the one thing that I was just so surprised. It was never taken seriously. Yeah, totally. I mean, like, I think, I, I think it's just such a, such a unique taste for people. You know what I mean? Like you're saying, it's, it's not, it was never mainstream. It was, it's not something that you necessarily like want to sing along to, you know what I mean? There's no, there's not a lot of like catchy choruses and stuff. And, um, yeah, it was just different. It was, it was, it, 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 yeah, I don't, I don't know. And that's, and then you, you talked about earlier about having those bands that you hear and it just kind of changes your trajectory. I feel like mm-hmm. this, this was that. And I think a lot of people are continuing to find that in the music like this was a a really interesting time and moment and i think it's why people are searching it out it's why people are going back to it is because i think it was overlooked and i think it is with either reissues or you know r.i.p pitchfork peace um but you know to the to those reviews like they kind of had to revisit a lot of this stuff because it did impact more than people gave it credit for yeah, totally. And and I think you're kind of seeing that, you know, even with like Sunny Day getting back together and playing their shows. Um, you know, they were they were they were kind of doing the same kind of stuff that that we wanted to do. Um, you know, and they were on a huge label and um you know, they they were a legit band. And I I think like, you know, them coming back together 30 years later or whatever again, opens that door to people who have maybe never even heard Sunny Day Real Estate or whatever, but they like X band, you know, that kind of sounds like Sunny Day. And then that just opens up that floodgate of like, who else is out there? Yes, exactly. I will, I will copy and paste that and play that in every episode. That's exactly it. Like if some kid that's into a band that maybe they saw a t-shirt or they were referenced and then they go see them and then they get their minds blown and then they realize there's more. That's why, you know, I mean, I joked about fish, but like there's all those jam bands, like you find one and then you find Mm -hmm. another and then you find your crew and it's, it's a fun experiment. And just like you talking about finding all the R and B stuff, right? There's just countless records to go through. So it, is a really i think it's it's perfect timing because there's access to be able to find this and it's not lost um so i'm happy you kept the master tapes um, or someone did i'm happy that that stuff was you know kept around because a lot of it wasn't yeah totally i mean there's there's some stuff that we can't find uh which is which is too bad but yeah i mean 
cracking that stuff open and looking at it, it's like, um, it, I mean, it is interesting. There was one tape that I found. <laughs> I took a picture of it and I, I texted Adrian and Rich and I was like, I think this should be the cover of whatever we put out. And it just said, it was this tape that just said Boilermaker Master Tape. And all the tape had come out of it and it was like this rat's nest. <laughs> yes. Like, this, is, this is basically how we have archived our stuff. Great you job. I mean? like Great job. <laughs> just throw it. But also, I mean, you know, by, by the demise of the band, by the time the band ended, it was like, no one could have predicted that, uh, you know, somebody like a Numero group would champion that era. Um, and, we would need it for some reason or somebody actually wanted to like hear it or like any of our kids would, would care or anything. We had no, we were not forward thinking in, in that way. So that's, that's unfortunate, Tim. Um, but yes, I think that would be a great photo. That'd be a great photo. (laughs) I'll send it to you. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, so, um, what about, um, you know, putting all the stuff together, have who has, who has reached out that you didn't expect to reach out? as you sort of tease some of this out there, you mentioned a little bit before about maybe someone sending a flyer or things like that or anybody that you kind of like reconnected with that you had no idea. Yeah. I don't think anyone like one in particular, but there was one story that we have. There's this, um, this kid, Oli that was from Encinitas and he worked with Taryn at this pizza place and he was just like a really good, kid i mean he's a man now he's got children and stuff but he was just such a such a positive dude um and you know part of the surf community very much like um maybe like four years younger than us something like that but he was always like at shows and really you know was part of the music scene you know both both he and his friends and he texted me um, via Instagram. I hadn't really talked to him in years, quite honestly, probably 20 years or something. And he he DM'd us and, and said, hey, um, I was uh, looking through the drawers of the screen printing class at San Diego. That's the high school that we went to. And they had this like after school um, I don't even know what you call it, but it was like a screen printing class that you didn't get credit for, but it was like kind of training you up if you wanted to get into screen printing later. Or something yeah, like that. yeah, totally. No, my, my school had that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he was like, hey, I was looking through the old drawers and um, I found a bunch of Taryn's old stuff. What? And it was, yeah, it was like, it was uh, Boilermaker shirts that Taryn had screen printed it was like the original uh transparencies and he was like would you mind if i made some shirts if i made these shirts and i was like fuck yeah dude that sounds awesome you know what i mean that's amazing he sent me a picture of it and uh yeah it was really cool it was like taryn's designs from probably 1993 or something you know it was like when we were first were a band and got to do your shirts so you got some merch to sell and like that kind of stuff get the name out and um that was like a really special thing i think and then so they made a handful of shirts they sent some to us and um 
yeah, just kind of like made shirts for like friends, you know what I mean? Like people we came up with in Encinitas and Lucadia, you know, that, that know us. And, um, and it was great. And it's fun to see my daughter in a Boilermaker shirt. (laughs) (laughs) Are you cool now? Weirdly, the 90s are way back, and my daughter, like, is into Boilermaker. She wears the shirts. Wow. She listens to the songs. Yeah, she's just like, you know, um, Whitewash is a really good song. I'm just like, holy shit, that's cool. Thank you. Thank you, Don. Yeah, totally. I was like, thank you. That's that's amazing. Um, no, I think, I mean, you saying that, um, I, I have um, other, you know, nieces and nephews and cousins stuff, and, 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 and I see photos of their friends, and I go, dude, I was, you are me in 1996. Like, yeah, you have totally. these big pants. You have, like, you have <laughs> totally. these ridiculous, over, like, you're ridiculous. And totally. you guys think you're badass? Like, I got made fun of, you know, profusely. Um, you know, they, it was, so I, I, hats off, um, keep whatever pants you have in your closet, guys. Um, if you have tight pants, if you have guys, anyone out there, women keep your tight pants because in 20 years they'll be cool again and hope you can fit into them. Cause I won't, maybe I'll, maybe you can have mine, but yeah, totally. I mean, I was talking to, to Ken Shipley about that. Like it does feel like the 30 year thing. It's absolutely you know, true. When, when I was, when I was in high school, it was like, there's all these people that were super into, the Grateful Dead and uh, kill me, Jimi now. Hendrix, and like all that kind of stuff. And it was like it's kind of like the same kind of thing. Like kids love Nirvana and Sublime, and uh, you know, my daughter's really into like uh, The Cure and Mazzy Star <laughs> and like that kind of stuff. And it's like, well, this is crazy, man. It's like you know, it's like oldies. It's yeah. like when I was growing up, you called it oldies. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's it's sad because I, I think it's yesterday, right? I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> and then like I'll look at like it, it'll come on like on Spotify or whatever I'm listening to. And I'll be like, fuck, yeah, this song, this song. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. shit, that's a playlist of 93 <laughs> songs. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what was I going to ask? So what is... Um, what is timing? Um, what's, what are, what's sort of 2024 and beyond for Boilermaker in terms of the tunes and stuff? Well, I think, um, let's see. I think, so, uh, in Wallace's shadow is going to come out. Um, the full records going to come out digitally on, um, February 9th. Badass. And so that's actually, I'm pretty excited about that just because it feels like, for me anyway, that record was a milestone for the band and that it felt like we started, um, we started kind of creating our own sound with those songs or, or, or a sound that, that we would just kind of continue. Whereas like the first record is definitely there's tracks on that where I'm just like, Oh yeah, that's, that is the, that's what Boilermaker sounds like, like in my head, Mm -hmm. you know, my mind's eye, like that's a Boilermaker song, you know, like songs like, uh, roller ring skate date or trunk feel very much like, Oh, that's a Boilermaker song. And I feel like uh, in Wallace's Shadow, there's just a lot of songs on that record that feel like, oh shit, those are that 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 feels like Boilermaker to me. So that's the first record that I think 
where there's there's a collection of songs that I'm still to this day still very proud of. And so when that that comes out, I'm, I'm excited for that to come out and be available. And then beyond that, I think then Numera is just going to start releasing. Um, I think maybe the first seven inch that we did for Wrenched. I think that comes out. And then after that, they'll start releasing the third record. And then after that, I really don't know. I mean, for for us, the the most important thing was just to get the music out. Um, so I'm very excited that uh, you know, hopefully by the end of the year, everything will be released. Like uh, hard, like weird shit that um, that people can't get a hold of that were like on compilations when we kind of first started to, um, you know, four track recordings. There's like a live show that we found that we want to release. Um, just that stuff, having that stuff available streaming, I think is huge. And, and as far as just like making it available for people who want to, to hear it, um, that's great. The physical stuff we've kind of talked to Numero about, like that. You know what I mean? Like, do you, is there any interest in like repressing the records so that there's like physical copies that people can buy? We haven't really talked to them too much about it. I think they, I think they're interested, but I also think you know, um, I mean, you you know the music business. If you know, there needs to be an audience there. So it, it's really just about like, do they think they can sell it? Yeah, yeah. All right, kids out there, stream the fuck out of Boilermaker. <laughs> and then they can put it on vinyl for your kids so they can stop paying fucking stupid prices on Discogs. God, I hate that. I know. I, uh, that, that, is, that is like the, one of the reasons why I think having a physical release would be good is just because the, the prices for the stuff is weirdly inflated it's, and, no, here, here's I, the thing here's the thing i'm so frustrated by it and I'll, I'll take every opportunity in every episode to say this i hate people that just have these records and they like put this price on it where like i mean we can talk about numero like i'd always made fun of people that sold a hundred dollars for all the karate stuff and i'd just be like right. i'm not buying your crap until they put it on a record they're like well i have the first version it doesn't matter <laughs> I don't give a shit. Put it on vinyl so I can listen to it. Like, I just, it's just this, like, you know, I mean, I might have that with a couple records where I'm like super nerdy about, for the most part, I'm like, I have it because I play it. If you just have it to have it in your thing and, and do, and have it as your background during your zoom calls and your shitty job, congratulations. But like, I just, I, I, that's the whole thing, like having it out there. So I really do hope that the streaming happens and then there is a market and maybe, maybe it's somebody else that reaches out. Maybe someone else says, Hey, can I do a special, you know, hundred one or 200 of this? And maybe that suffices the crowd, right? Or you, maybe you find that out. Like this is not going to end with these with these streaming things so wow i just got into like music biz mode for a second so yeah i feel like that would be i am supportive of that that ramp up because i do think you're going to tell what that audience is and you're going to be able to suffice who wants this and you're not going to have these stupid prices yeah totally i mean you know back in the day in like 2001 when 
when Lucadia came out, when we were talking to Paul and Dave, um, shout out to Paul and Dave, shout out Paul and Dave. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they were, they were awesome. They were like, they were fans, like real, like fans. And they, this is before there was any kind of like ridiculous prices on, on the records, but they were just like, you can't really find the records anymore. You know, goldenrod, I think, you know, they, they, uh, they kind of fell apart before there was any kind of reissuing to be happening. You know what I mean? And, um, so there was like, we want to release the records and it was like, Oh cool. That's going to be awesome. And it kind of just turned into a, into the compilation. Um, because I think they did, I think they did the math and they were like, it's going to be really, really expensive to do like, like we're a small enough company that we can't do like three records, like right off the bat, you know? But I think that Um, CD really helped keep this thing alive. Oh, a hundred percent. Because it it was in stores. It was like people had it. Like I feel that, yeah, that CD kind of kept it going. A hundred percent. I mean, um, you know, Paul, I think Paul and Dave were the first people that we dealt with that really thought of their label as a business, you know, like, like Mm -hmm. a viable business. Like Mm -hmm. they, they knew how to promote. They knew that it was important to get reviews in certain magazines. Um, and so that was, that was awesome. Not, not to say that like wrenched and goldenrod didn't, but, um, wrenched and goldenrod were, were much more of like kind of that DIY underground thing, which is great. Um, but yeah, I, I I will say that I think the longevity of the Lucadia thing was was purely on the from from the the gusto of those dudes. And they're a perfect little combo because of their personalities yeah. and what they're good at. Like that's why I just I don't know. Whenever the better yeah. looking doc comes out, I'm I'm happily available. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just feel like that is a a really kind of thing that gets lost too is like these this that cd comp kind of stayed with people like i said earlier people kept it people had it they they shared it they ripped it um and so that's really beautiful one thing i did want to bring up how has it been with you know taryn's family kind of um feeling the love for all this stuff yeah i mean adrian's stoked man she's super stoked um again like she was the champion of this whole thing she deserves all the credit. Um, and she's just like super, super stoked. Um, you know, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that, uh, I, I think it's great for his son, uh, Dakota as well. Cause Dakota was pretty, he was pretty young when Taryn passed away. And, um, it's, it's nice. I think for him, to have something tangible that is purely his dad, you know? So I think, I think they're stoked. And I think, um, I think the, I, th- I think if, you know, if we can keep this thing going, you know, they're just going to get even more stoked. So that's kind of, that's kind of the motivation. I mean, that's the motivation in, in my mind is like, I just really want people to hear Taryn, you know? to 
see what Taron was all about. His lyrics, again, his voice. He's such a talented dude. Um, it's kind of all for him. And in, in my in the way I'm thinking of it, you know what I mean? Like, it's great to get this out there because people will, you know, uh, realize what a force that dude was, you know, what a talent. Tim, that was perfect. What about, you know how I list out the bands of like the people? Yeah. You, can I just put uh-huh. Boilermaker? Do you want me to put anything else? I think Boilermaker is fine. I mean, I've played another stuff but i mean no one's no one cares okay <laughs> <laughs> can i put that in the end of the podcast no, i'm kidding <laughs> i mean it's true you might as well put it in there okay done okay i think factually wrong just put boilermaker time no one fucking cares <laughs> man you got the sunday scary like nobody man can't wait to hear you tomorrow oh. yeah, totally. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, okay, that was good.